0: Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 56th episode, and I'm here after a very interesting Monaco Grand Prix. Can't say that all the time. And uh, yeah, guys, I really actually enjoyed the weekend in Monte Carlo, I have to say. But before I discuss it first, a quick reminder... Please check out the link tree in the description. It includes links to all my podcast pages. I don't just record these guys. You know, I've made TikToks in the past. I have a YouTube channel. You can also check out my Twitter. Um, I haven't been as active on there, though, I do admit. Um, It has my email address too, if you'd like to contact me personally, um, as well as my Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn for, you know, me, not so much the podcast. But now, We also have a Spanish Grand Prix to preview, guys. Don't forget, we still have Formula 1 coming up this weekend as well. So a lot of ground to cover first, though, in Monaco. So let's dive in. As ever, the storylines heading into the race... Um, I think the upgrades um, brought to the Monaco Grand Prix by many, many teams of course has to be one of the biggest storylines heading in, but I'm actually saving that discussion for a little bit later in the preview, so just bear with me there, um, but I think the thing to talk about right now is the Aston Martin and Honda partnership, this happened just shortly after I released um, my episode previewing the Monaco Grand Prix, so it's definitely kind of the oldest news that I want to kind of get um, as as quickly as I can here. And my thoughts are kind of what has been said mostly by pretty much everyone in in F1 Media at the moment. Um, I think this is a great partnership. If Aston Martin wants to, um, well, first of all, a little shameless plug here. If you want my thoughts on F1 News sooner than having to wait for an entire week That is why you go check out that link tree that I just mentioned because I was tweeting about it. Um, Unfortunately, I'm going to be sticking with this weekly format for the foreseeable future on on the podcast. So if you want to hear my thoughts sooner on things, follow me elsewhere. You know uh, I'm active on pretty much everything except the break bias Twitter has been a little bit lacking lately. I should probably get on top of that. But my personal Twitter, I tweet from that all the time. So... Check me out. Anyway, on there I mentioned basically exactly what I'm going to be saying right now, and that is that if Aston Martin wants to, you know, reach their goals of challenging at the front, a works partnership like this is, is crucial for them. Honda, as much as you know, it's a Red Bull powertrain, Honda's basically supplying the engine that is winning the, the championship for the third well, second year in a row. Um, of course with Max only winning the drivers in, in twenty-one, but still phenomenal car and engine they had that that year as well um so for aston martin to get that honda partnership uh for 2026 that is i don't know if i mentioned that is huge for them um they're a team that you know understands how to make formula one engines i imagine that they're going to be probably one of the leaders so um there's really not much else to that. I guess there's the Alonso and Honda layer, which is it's just funny that that possibly could happen again. But 2026 for Alonso, man, he'll be 45. I'm not saying it's not possible, but I feel like that storyline is a bit overhyped a little bit. I I don't know if I would expect him to be around by 26. Do does he really want to see a whole new set of regulations? I don't know, man. I feel like it's I feel like 25 is probably when he retires. If not, I think he retires in 26 um, after the season. So I think it's possible. Um, but if I had to put my money on it, I would predict that he's he's gone by 2025. Or the end of 2025, I should say. I don't think he sees the new regulations. But anyway, just wanted to quickly mention that. Um, I, I just don't really have any other thoughts on it besides the fact that I just think it's great. It, it's hard to, you know, discuss something that I don't have any bad things to say about. I think it's brilliant for for both sides. Honda is actually kind of salvaging a mistake that they made by leaving Red Bull. And now they're still getting a good constructor. So I guess there's that aspect too uh, for Honda. Um, But anyway, let's let's get into Monaco because there is quite a lot. It seems like there always is, even though there's not a whole lot of overtaking. There's always so many things that happen in Monaco. Maybe it's just because I always review the race. And then Monaco qualifying is so crazy that I feel like it's like two race reviews. I don't know, but I'm going to start out with just a quick note from practice. Um, going into this weekend, of course, too. You know, my prediction was that it was going to be crazy because of how close the field was going to get, and it did start out really close. In fact, I think Verstappen and Perez were like P6 and P8 in FP1, which is unheard of so far for this season. Um, but by FP3, it did look like Red Bull had the advantage that I was kind of calling, if you remember last last episode. I said that it might be closer, but I'm not really buying that Aston Martin or Ferrari are going to be quicker than Red Bull. And by FP3, it did kind of seem like that was the case. Um, But also, FP3 ended with Lewis Hamilton committing the cardinal sin in F1. That being crashing before qualifying in Monaco. Crashing in FP3 is the worst thing that you can do. Over the course of the entire Formula One season, barring extreme things like, oh well, crashing on the last lap in the lead. Like that doesn't count. Thing like <laughs> that's just super specific. Like, come on. Um, that is the cardinal sin in F1. You do not crash the car in FP3 in Monaco. And if you didn't see it, it wasn't like he just destroyed his Mercedes. He was easily in for qualifying. His front wing just got caught in the barrier. So he had to get out in the red flag and the end of the session and all that. But the worst part about it was actually that his Mercedes was lifted off the track by a crane so high that it showed the world their entire floor, their new floor, also that they just brought to the Monaco Grand Prix. So the secrecy on that did not last one bit. Um, but he wasn't the only one who did that because come Q1, Sergio Perez makes a huge mistake and the world gets to see the Red Bull floor too. Even more memes about that of course. Because all the teams are going to be wanting to studying that floor. Although I've heard from reports that it's actually really hard to tell. Even from looking up at pictures of their floor. Um, and getting like the in- intricate details. I don't know if that's just someone like defending Red Bull. Saying like ah, it won't matter. But I have heard that it's actually not that big of a deal. We'll see. But... In Q1, as usual in Monaco, the times are all out of whack. We get to see guys like Lando Norris and Yuki Tsunoda top the times at certain points. However, um, this was pointed out by James Vowles, um, well, and the commentary team, but they were talking with James Vowles, and he's the Williams team principal, I guess I should say, if you didn't know that. He was saying that this is a very unique Monaco qualifying in the fact that you can't just keep running on the same set of soft tires. The degradation is actually a lot higher and lap one is, is shown to be um, kind of just superior. I I, I guess there's no other way to say it. The lap one times are so much better than the, the second and third tries that sometimes we see at the Monaco Grand Prix um, or at the qualifying session, but you, you understand what I'm saying. Um, So that kind of did make it a bit more of, like a traditional qualifying strategy for the teams, but it was still Monaco, you know, there's still, it still comes down a lot to just drivers building up their confidence. So the more you go around, the quicker you get, even if your tires are, you know, costing you about two tenths a lap, your confidence can also cost you um, more than that. So we still did see a somewhat of a normal Monaco quality, but it was also a little bit toned down where I think last year, if I was thinking about it, it was just wild. Like, the names were jumping all over the screen because there was 20 guys on track, which is kind of another conversation. A lot of people think that Monaco should, or F1 should go to the F2 strategy in Monaco, where they split the two, um, or they split 10 drivers into the two groups because 20, 20 cars is just way too much um, on, on a track like Monaco. The traffic is insane. But anyway, like last year, all 20 drivers on track, just crossing the line, keep doing fast laps fast lap, slow down lap, fast lap, slow down lap, insanity. It, it's so hard to cover, but this year was a bit easier, but still not to the extreme where, you know, on a regular weekend, uh, say in Spain where, we, where, we'll, where we will be going. Um, we'll see the traditional, you know, banker lap and then, uh, final fast lap at the end. Um, so anyway, kind of off on a tangent there. Just that, that's what I love about Monaco is that that hecticness of qualifying too. Um, but in Q1, it was the Haas pair joining Perez and Joe and Sargent um, at the back. Just a brutal, horrible air from Perez that I will be getting into later. Don't get me wrong. Also, Hamilton narrowly escaping. He had just an absolute hell of a qualifying um, because in Q2, it happened to him again. He had to scramble to make it in, so... I was watching it thinking, you know, anything can happen. Maybe Mercedes can pull out a worldie of a result. And I'm like, oh, my God, like he's barely making it in. Um, But thankfully, he did make it into Q3. But someone who did not make it into Q3 was Lance Stroll. He actually was, I think, second fastest, if not third fastest in FP3. It looked like he was maybe going to be turning it around after a bit of a slow start to the weekend. It didn't have a great Friday. But then he misses the Weybridge, which cost him dear, and he did not make it to Q three. And I actually thought that he was going to get a penalty for that as well, because the team put the uh, put the coolers on his on his on his uh, car, which I think the rule is technically that you're not supposed to be doing any work to the car, and I guess cooling maybe doesn't fall into work. I don't know. Anyway, all I know is that that did definitely cost him on a, on a chance to making it to Q three. He was joined by Bottas, Albon, Piastri, and also Nick DeVries. But Nick DeVries, P12, not too shabby. Although his teammate, Sonoda, of course, did make it to Q3. So it's not like he qualified him. But still, P12 and that AlphaTauri is not so bad. Maybe more of a uh, show that the AlphaTauri car is not so bad around here. But anyway, Q3, um, Fernando Alonso kind of laid down the marker. But as I said, it's a different strategy. So saying... Usually when I say they lay down the marker, they had the quickest lap on the first runs, but because it's not only one, or it's not only two runs in Monaco, it's kind of weird calling it the marker, but still, Fernando was about four tenths faster than Verstappen on his first run. Um, Verstappen did eventually take P1 back. Then later in the session, out of nowhere, Esteban Ocon goes up to the top, and I just want to make this quick note before I get into everyone's final run. If we had... What happened in the last two seasons in the Monaco Grand Prix qualifying session where somebody crashed on their final runs, Esteban Ocon would have been on pole. But Sergio Perez didn't spin and Leclerc didn't crash into the wall like we had in 22 and 21. So unfortunately, on everyone's final run, Alonso puts together an amazing first two sectors and took provisional pole from Ocon and Leclerc, slotted in between them. So it was the top three. Verstappen was down and fourth. Everyone was watching Max Verstappen. He's down about three tenths after sector one and sector two. And at this point I, w- I was still losing it. And I was the fact that he was down three tenths, I was still freaking out thinking, oh my God, Alonso could be on pull here. My mom's watching right beside me and she's saying, you know, she's seeing me react. And she's like, oh my God, you know, like someone's going to be Max. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Pause, pause, pause. Because I know this sector is super short, but he has been quick through here. Fernando hasn't it's still on. You know, he could definitely grab pole here. And as he went around the final corner, and he's like bumping into the wall in the straight, which was insane. Like props to Max Verstappen for an incredible sector three. He, of course, did snag pole, and the, the, the crowd and commentary box just roared for a great qual- qualifying and, and a great final sector for Max. And yes, it was amazing. But. I, I wasn't surprised. As I said, he was going around the final corner. I said to myself and, and to my mom, I'm like, he's going to do it. I I, I felt it. He, he looked fast through there, first of all. So just by watching, I'm like, hey, this, this is looking pretty good for him. Um, but I didn't think it was as crazy as everyone said it was. Like, oh, being down three tenths and grabbing that in the final sector, being the shortest one on the track, on – in theory, that sounds just otherworldly, and don't get me wrong, it was amazing, but this was not as as great as everyone hyped it up to be, and I, I'm sounding like a huge Max Verstappen hater here, I know that, but it's just the truth. I mean, Esteban Ocon basically matched him in Sector 3, I don't think a lot of people know that, Max was purple, he beat him by just a, a small amount but Ocon more or less matched him in sector 3 does that mean Ocon had you know it, of course he had a phenomenal lap to qualify p4 um but does that give make him the second greatest qualifying sector of all time like i, I just i i think it was a little bit overhyped red bull was the best car uh, the aston martin was struggling in sector 3 fernando even said that that was their worst sector Red Bull was flying through there. Max is an incredible driver who did have an incredible sector, but we need to pump the brakes on one of the best sectors of all time. For you to do that, you have to be tense ahead of everyone in the field, not just the guy who was in second who had a bad final sector. You know, Fernando's first two sectors were phenomenal, and his, his lack of pace in the third sector is what cost him pole. It wasn't that he had a good final sector and then Max just absolutely washed the field – so let's let's just pump the brakes a little bit. Amazing job. I'm try I'm not trying to take anything away from Max here, but it just it 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 wasn't like the best thing we've ever seen. It was just amazing. <laughs> is, is is that like a ridiculous thing to say? I don't know. Um, but also, I guess a final note before we uh, review the race here: Leclerc actually impeded Norris at the end, um, pretty badly in the tunnel. Actually, it was not. Not good. You, you could see Lando coming quick and, and just a weird place to try to get out of the way. Like It's it's already kind of tight to try to go full throttle through there. And Leclerc was just in a horrible spot. And he got a 3 place grid drop, continuing the curse. So that sent him back from third to P6. But, yeah, so the order in qualifying. or um, well I guess I, I can do the grid order because of, of Leclerc's penalty. So it went Verstappen, Alonso, Ocon in third. Um, P4 was Carlos Sainz and then P5 Lewis Hamilton P6 was Leclerc P7 Pierre Gasly P8 George Russell now let's get into the race at the start it was all clean through turn 1 mostly and then we get to the hairpin and here comes some shocking racing I mean It was bumper cars through there. Hulkenberg tried this ridiculous move on Sargent, and there was quite a few cars involved there. In fact, a few people were in for nose changes right away. And Perez, who started at the back because he crashed in qualifying, and everyone had better times than him, he opted to overtake them in the pits because he knew everyone coming in that early was, you know, they were going to be doing slow stops because they had to put on a new wing, right? So it was a chance for him to just overtake them right away. Um, not let them, you know, catch up from the back because they'll be in free air. Um, so he overtakes them in the pits. He's like, I'm going to go to the end on these hard tires and I'm going to come out ahead of, I think it was Hulkenberg, Sergeant, and or was it? No, it wasn't Sergeant. Um Hulkenberg and Joe, Hulkenberg and Stroll. I, I actually forget. I should have wrote it down. But it doesn't r- really matter. They're at the back. I can tell you right now, none of these guys really had anything... Um, they didn't really have any impact on the grand prix. They didn't score points. Okay, <laughs> you guys probably saw it anyway. So in just a few laps' time, though, out front it was already a two-man race. Ocon, like I said, started in P three. He was really backing the pack up. Um, at one point, Signs actually he was right on his back. He tried an overambitious move uh, down the hill into the Nouvelle chicane. He ran into the back of Ocon. Luckily, they both were able to continue. Signs got some damage, and his wing was hanging a little bit, and. You know, every time we see that now, we're like, "Oh, is the meatball flag going to come out?" The, the black and orange. It didn't. It flew off, and Hamilton actually ran over it, which made my heart skip. But um, everything was fine, and, and it actually didn't really affect Signs' pace too much. Ferrari did bring out the front wing, like if Signs felt he needed to come into the pits. Signs made the right call to stay out. Absolutely, the right call. Good job from him. Later on in the race, the first overtake went to Kevin Magnuson. Congratulations, an overtake in the Monaco Grand Prix. We actually saw quite a few after this, all jokes aside, because Logan Sargent, who Kevin Magnuson did pass, was really starting to tumble down. I felt horrible for him because he was a sitting duck in Monaco. How are you a sitting duck in Monaco? His mediums were just absolutely dead, though, so maybe that shows just how great Lewis Hamilton is when his mediums were absolutely dead, holding off the likes of Sebastian Vettel and Max Verstappen in 2019. But anyway, um, as we got closer to the pit window, um, a lot of teams were concerned that the rain could be coming soon. And of course they don't want to pit and lose track position at a track like Monaco and then have to come in and pit for enters and, and lose that track position. Right. But Anyway, from the top group still, we we had a uh, we had an Alpine instead of Stroll and or both Alpines actually instead of Stroll and Checo in the top eight, mind you. But Hamilton was the first one of that group who still decided to come in. He could slot into a nice gap in front of the rest of the midfield, come in in eighth place with a ton of free air and try to undercut um, that. He actually set fastest lap, I guess I should say, but that also brought in Carlos Sainz to cover him, and then on the following lap, Ocon to cover him. Sainz was furious that, you know, he actually got ahead of Hamilton, but that his team focused on him instead of trying to get past Esteban, which um, he believed that if he, you know, ran in that free air, that Ocon would, have ha- Ocon would have had to pit to cover Hamilton. And then that free air that Sainz would have been given, that his pace um, was a lot better than Charles, and it was and that he could have overcut them both. Well, I guess he didn't need to overcut Hamilton, but still played the overcut game and potentially came out um, in that P3 position. But that was not the case, and the rain did eventually come. Everyone else stretched their first stints out. Um, That is George Russell, Charles Leclerc, Max Verstappen, Fernando Alonso, and Pierre Gasly. Um, And when the rain did come, it was starting to get a little bit like, "Oh, oh shit, like... This one sector of the track, mostly kind of the beginning of sector two, was pretty wet um, down at the hairpin. It was getting a little sketchy. And then um, eventually, as the rain just kept building, it got pretty treacherous, actually. And there was some brief... Um, but just amazing chaos out on the track with so many runners on super old tires trying to survive the conditions and then it getting to a point where everyone was like okay yep it's interest time definitely and this led to some frantic strategies too the ones that went on interest early were typically the ones who they didn't lose out I wouldn't say there was any big gainers of going on the interest early because I don't think they were the fastest tire straight away um, because it did kind of hit that crossover point like really quickly and nobody was late to the party besides maybe Ferrari classic Ferrari but we'll talk about the just the top group because I would be here all day explaining everything that went went on in the back because it was craziness in the back Um, Fernando he put on the medium tire um, gambling that the rain wouldn't be too bad of course it was the wrong choice but lucky for him it actually didn't cost him anything He just was basically 20 seconds behind Verstappen because he had to do an extra pit stop. Um, Mercedes and Ferrari both double-stacked. It's just that Ferrari did it one or two laps later. I I can't quite remember. I'm assuming it had to be one lap later, Um, and they both both lost out because of that. Um, Luckily for for Charles, um, Gasly had a slow stop, and he actually... um, got ahead actually and i think at the time it was signs and then signs had his off um, that led to wait but how did charles get ahead of pierre oh my mind's in a maybe no signs must have gone off jesus i should have wrote some more stuff down about this uh, signs must have gone off when he was still on the dry tire and then he double stacked behind charles i actually don't remember i either way gasly split the ferraris george russell actually came out in front of Lewis in their double stack it was a kind of a great strategy for him from to uh, go from slicks straight to enters on his on his only pit stop so that was great for him although he had an off at Mirabeau and then he tried to rejoin in a, such a sketchy manner right in front of Sergio Perez who at the point like he was you know he would have been unlapping himself Sergio um, and he, they had a very like Perez basically t-boned him because George Russell pulled out right in front of him so that was a five second penalty for George and Hamilton regained the place because of that George was lucky to not lose out um any more than he did um but at this point guys after that it was kind of just I'll talk a little bit about I guess the back is Sonoda who was in p9 at the time he was about 50 seconds behind Carlos who was in p8 And Sonoda actually eventually, he tumbled down um, with brake issues before going off himself and finding himself somewhere P13 or P14. Um, However, before Sonoda went off, he was just, he was too slow. And Lando was one of the quickest guys on track. Um, He and Oscar actually both overtook Sonoda on the track on the main straight. So that was cool to see some overtakes in the wet. Um, It was just that Sonoda was severely compromised. Um, from there though yeah the results were kind of set it was we had some awesome chaos and some interesting strategy calls Um, but in the end when we thought it was going to be closest Max Verstappen pulled out the win by the largest margin he has this season 27 seconds bonkers but before I get into the final results um, I just want to quickly say the race direction. That was a storyline going into the Grand Prix. And it was much better with F1 in control. I felt we got more action than usual. And the cameras were switching more often to, and, and getting more angles. And, and we just I felt like there was more going on. And I think we had a good race to go along with it. But at the same time, you know, we we just had, I feel like the race was also, it felt better because of the F1 direction. So they kind of went hand in hand. Um, but anyway, the final results, guys, Max Verstappen with just a brilliant display of racing. I mean, converting that advantage and living on those medium tires for, for just way too long. It was it was supremely impressive. P2, Fernando Alonso, a valiant effort, but unfortunately his, his hopes at a win were pretty much gone after Quali. Max was just the better uh, racer and in the better race car on Sunday. P3, Esteban Ocon, what a result for the Alpine team. That's his third career podium. P four was Lewis Hamilton. He added fastest lap to grab 13 points after almost out in Q one. Um, you know, a run on used tires to to get into Q two. It was it was close. I mean, he had no business being out in either of those sessions. It was kind of his own doing, but still, um, just a great job from him to get that results when he was pretty close to a nightmare weekend. George Russell still finished P5, even with the penalty um, a good 10 seconds ahead of Charles Leclerc, I believe. So not bad considering his P8 start too, and, and that incident also could have just taken him out of the race. Leclerc P6, his grid drop and strategy killed him here, but he simply also just didn't look as good as he usually does here this weekend. So tough one for Ferrari because P7 was Pierre Gasly rounding out the great result for the Enstone-based unit, and then Sainz took P8. He was arguably lucky to finish with all the incidents he had. Um, but at the same time, he could have been P3. So, very, very disappointing for Ferrari, as I said. And then P9 and P10 went to the McLaren drivers. So, kind of a mixed result for them because double points finish, woohoo, yaha. But their main opponent, Alpine, absolutely wiped them. So, um, that's probably the weekend, even though they got double points the weekend that they will lose the most points to alpine who scored what a ridiculous amount of points 15 plus what's i always forget what p7 is Is it's six points yeah p7 is six points so do the math: 21 points mclaren had three that's an 18 point advantage for alpine so not great driver standings max verstappen He's got a healthy lead over Sergio Perez now. Uh, it's such a shame. But 144 points for Max, only 105 for Sergio. Fernando Alonso is actually closer to Sergio than Sergio is to Max at this point because Alonso's at 93, only 12 points behind Perez. Lewis Hamilton, quite a far, quite a ways back sorry, uh, from Fernando Alonso at 69 points. <laughs> George Russell, 50 points, 19 back from Lewis Carlos Sainz, two points behind George Russell. Charles Leclerc, a further six points behind Carlos Sainz at 42. And then it's a bit of a drop-off to Lance Stroll down in 27. Fernando Alonso, 93 points. Lance Stroll, 27. Uh, That's a yikes. Esteban Ocon is only six points now behind Lance Stroll with 21. Um, Pierre Gasly has 14, rounding out the top 10. Looking at the Constructors' Championship, Red Bull just... Uh, not even a great weekend from them because Paris didn't even score but still 249 points the next team is Aston Martin who only has a one point advantage over Mercedes 120 for Aston to 119 for Mercedes and that is purely because Mercedes has two good drivers and Aston Martin basically only has Fernando Alonso Ferrari a little bit further back 40 points or sorry 30 points behind Aston Martin at 90 points Alpine 35 quite a ways down then McLaren, 17, and the bottom four stay the same. Haas, 8, Alfa Romeo, 6, Alfa Tari, 2, Williams, 1. Now, prize, demise, and surprise quickly before we get into the Barcelona preview. The prize, I know I usually take um, a bit of a different look at this than just trying to give a driver of the day, um, but I, I, I feel like the prize has to go to Esteban Ocon. For any driver on a team that's not in that top four, Um, this year to get a podium is just a huge result um so that is a massive massive haul of points to to grab in a midfield fight I think Alpine should comfortably be in p5 anyway um but still just a great job and he he's going to be wanting to beat Pierre Gasly and that's a huge result for him in that battle so I think this this weekend was a huge win for Esteban Ocon and just um you know he gets i feel like he gets a p4 like he gets a p4 in japan last year and nobody cared nobody cared but then he gets this this podium in monaco and people people realize so i feel like just that one extra position is also just huge for him getting some recognition um for his for his efforts cuz i feel like last year i preached this all year how c- consistent and and great he was um and it just kind of nobody cared because alonso Um, had more of the stellar results for Alpine. And don't get me wrong, Alonso was better than Ocon last year. But Ocon was still good, and uh, he just didn't really get any love for for his efforts. So, yeah, moving on. um, Last week, or last race, I should say, in Miami, I kind of let Checo off the hook and gave the demise to Lance Stroll. But he's getting it this week. I'm sorry. I mean, to mess up in qualifying, um, in Monaco, at a race where you know it was one of those where he had a chance over Max. He needed to win if he had any sort of chance at the championship. I already think it's over, guys. I mean, it would take an absolute nightmare of reliability or something for Max Verstappen for to lose this championship to Checo at this point. Um, so just to make a mistake in Q1, in Q1, it's not like you were pushing to the limit to try to take pole position because you knew that you know. It was pull or just no win for you this weekend. That would have been a little bit more understanding. But to do it in Q1 when your car should have easily made it into Q3 was just, it's honestly just unforgivable. And then in the race, not entirely his fault. Don't get me wrong because the, the back half of that grid in, in Monaco was just absolute chaos. But he pitted like five times and crashed into cars like four times and not not saying any of them were his fault. Um, it could have all been not his fault. But just an absolute hell of a Monaco Grand Prix weekend for Checo. So in a way, I feel bad. But in another breath, um, just don't crash your car in Q1. I mean, you had a massive advantage in in your car. And you to, to do it in Q1 is, is, like I said, just unforgivable. So the surprise is how long it took for a retirement. I want to get into this. A little bit more because I'll, I'll be doing Brad's bets um, for the Spain preview so um, I, I will talk about this further but the fact that it took I think 57 laps out of the 70 72 I think they do in Monaco um, and after the, you know, the midfielder were basically playing bumper cars at the beginning and, and there was quite a few incidents and offs and it took 57 laps for a retirement that is quite surprising um, I had a decent amount of money on that one so um, I'll get into that later though. Let's talk about Spain. We're already 30 minutes in and we haven't even gotten to the preview of the Spanish Grand Prix, so let's do that. Okay, guys, more storylines. Something I want to quickly talk about before I finally get into the upgrades as promised. So, Alfa Romeo and Haas have made a title partnership. I guess is is what I'm. I, I feel comfortable calling it that. It's the exact same as Alfa Romeo Sauber currently. Um, and Sauber will lose that um, title deal next year, and they'll go to just being Sauber in 24 and 25. But now Haas will likely be called Alfa Romeo Haas. So that will be. Somewhat confusing for <laughs> for some people, I imagine, but it's worth twenty million for Haas, and I think getting a uh, a car brand name on their on their Formula One team is is a great job for them. So happy for Haas. Um, it's cool that the Alfa Romeo name, um, who honestly kind of dominated the beginning of of the sport in the fifties, excuse me. Um, so I, I like the partnership, and you know there were both teams that had connections with Ferrari, so i think it makes a lot of sense and yeah at the end of the day the biggest winner here is is of course just Haas getting that 20 million dollar deal and uh, a good name in formula one on their on their team so i like the partnership again it's kind of similar to the aston martin and honda except even less because it just has less implications on on running order and and, and whatnot and Haas is not a championship contending team so there's there's even less to talk about but there's no reason to not like this, so um, yeah, just awesome, and I wanted to mention that for you guys if you if you missed it, so now a lot more to talk about here, I want to finally talk about the upgrades, because I, I could have talked about it heading into the Monaco Grand Prix as a storyline there, but as George Russell said, um, I think he explained it best to some other uh, drivers, mentioned the same thing, because Mercedes was not the only team to bring upgrades, and I will uh, break that down just shortly, but Russell said, "You know, like basically take everything from this weekend with a pinch of salt. They'll they'll try to take something away, but they're going to take it with a pinch of salt because it's just such a unique track and it's impossible to know for sure. They're looking forward to Spain, um, a conventional track, uh, so they'll they'll learn a lot more this weekend. So that's why I saved it for the preview. Um, but with that being said, let's just start with Mercedes, probably the most anticipated upgrades." Of, of the season, and especially at this point of the season for sure, they brought six bits to their car that um, were all performance-related because there's quite a few people that also bring circuit-spec parts to Monaco, you know, like a huge rear wing just for Monaco. Um, not every team did that, but I'm not going to include those in this entire breakdown, and I will be skipping over some teams because some teams only brought circuit-spec parts, and... Other teams also just didn't bring any major upgrades, and it's just not really worth talking about. So we'll start with Mercedes. The big ones were the front suspension, the brand-new floor, and the brand-new side pods, of course. So they also actually did bring um, a new rear wing, rear corner, engine cover. Um, so pretty big package to bring here. Um, they unfortunately would not be changing their chassis. So if basically, if you looked at the car from a bird's-eye view, the right, basically... I mean, like they did change the engine cover, which is part of the chassis, I guess, but their chassis will not change. That's just too expensive. And reports throughout the weekend suggested that Mercedes drivers felt a lot better uh, front-end responsiveness, but um, Lewis was certainly st- saying that it's still he still found it difficult to, to drive. Um, apparently, the brake stability has been an issue for Mercedes, and it was a bit better as well. Um, but I think the main takeaway here... Is that because it's it's really hard to feel the positives or even I guess some of the negatives um, in a, at a track like Monaco? They didn't report any major issues, and, and I think Total Wolf said something along those lines as well. Um, basically, just reporting that um, it's Monaco, but everything we see so far we're not worse, so that is definitely uh, a positive. Um, they're basically at the beginning of a development of of a a concept um, struggling with my words today, geez, are at the beginning of the development of this concept and they were near the end of the development of their past concept. So the fact that they're already on even keel um, says a lot. Um, so that that's kind of it for Mercedes. Cause Aston Martin also brought a brand new front suspension, front corner and rear suspension. So brand new suspension package for Aston Martin looking forward to see what they can do in Spain. Alpine, Front suspension, side pods, floor edge. Their side pods actually look quite different. Um, I I recommend giving them a look if you're interested in kind of the technical aspect of F1. Alfa Romeo brought a huge package. They had new engine cover, floor edge, floor body, rear suspension, and rear corner. Um, You wouldn't know it, but I guess Bottas was decent here. We'll see if Bottas can replicate what he did last year in Spain. A great, great performance from him. Um, Has actually brought an upgrade, which is, you know, unlike them to bring one so early, especially at a track like Monaco, but obviously it was planned for Imola as well. Front wing and front suspension for them. Alpha Tauri brought the biggest package out of anyone. Nine all nine performance-related bits. That is pretty incredible. So um, a brand new floor, a diffuser, new side pods, new engine cover, new front suspension, new rear wing, um, and those are just kind of the major ones, massive, massive upgrade, and maybe it showed because DeVries, P12, he's really struggled, um, and he still qualified behind Sonoda, yet P12, not not bad at all. So we'll see if AlphaTauri's got anything to show in Spain, and then Williams, um, just a new front suspension for them too. So a lot of work to the suspension going on, which I wonder if that is, you know, some of the teams recognizing that. The advantage that Red Bull has does not come from the side pods or even their floor. A lot of it is just their mechanical platform that all starts with the suspension. So that is definitely some interesting stuff. So take all that um, with a grain of salt, I guess, as well. But I figured I would report it to you guys because it was interesting. That was all per Formula Racers, a great account to follow on Twitter. I have to give them the credit. But let's get into some track stuff now. Um, we have the old Catalunya track layout, actually. I, I can't believe it's it's been 40 minutes for me to finally yell out that there's no more terrible chicane. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful day to be alive when the Spanish Grand Prix chicane is gone. Oh, the worst couple corners in F1 is no longer. Hopefully, that will lead to some more racing down the main straight into turns one and turns two. That chicane was such a racing killer. Um, So now they'll be able to slingshot right onto onto the main straight, um, which I think will be better. I'm just hoping that it doesn't lead to, like, DRS blowbys. However, it should make for more overtaking. I just hope it's not too easy. But anyway, I still think overtakes that are too easy are probably still better than just being stuck the whole race. So we'll see how it goes. Um, But last year, Max Verstappen won from Sergio Perez. Leclerc had himself a huge early lead 13 seconds about before his engine went and then Verstappen uh, he actually had a little trip through the gravel as did Carlos Sainz but Carlos was a little bit more anonymous in that race um, where Verstappen of course recovered to win Um, but at the time when he was I think back in third third no I guess he I don't I don't remember exactly I guess but my point is he was battling with George Russell, which led to some great aggressive defending from him, great racing. Honestly, I, I think it was a little bit testy, but at the end of the day, it was some great stuff and very entertaining. On lap one, too, also Lewis Hamilton got a puncture from the Haas of Kevin Magnuson. Lewis uh, wanted to retire and save the engine, but he was setting fastest laps on his way back to P5. It was kind of the first sign of life for Merck with Russell battling with Max, and Lewis flying on his on his recovery drive so could that happen again here we will see my prediction for the Spanish Grand Prix um I guess Checo was decent here last year and Charles had a great lap for pole position and was kind of dominating until his engine went but I think Max's form is just too good at the moment it's so boring but I got him for pole. I'm going to say Checo still slots in behind him in P2. Kind of has a bit of a recovery weekend after a few weekends in a row that haven't been so great for him. Um, For the race, I'll say um, well, I'll say Leclerc is P3 because I feel like the predictions are honestly more interesting for where I think Aston Martin, Ferrari, and Mercedes are going to end up. So I guess I should always mention them. I'll take Leclerc actually to to grab P3 in qualifying ahead of Alonso and then the Mercedes pairing. Um, For the race, I will take that Red Bull 1-2 with Max Verstappen winning, but the battle between Alonso and Leclerc will get interesting. I think they will have a good battle here, um, but I'll back Fernando to get it done late with uh, just more tire life than Leclerc because that's uh, kind of a recurring pattern we've seen with Ferrari and, and the Aston Martin just having way better Tire life. Um, so my bold prediction, though, will be that Pierre Gasly takes P7 ahead of Lance Stroll and Carlos Sainz. I worry a bit about Stroll at the moment, and I just this is more about. I think Gasly was very frustrated by um, his teammate grabbing that podium in Monaco, so he just rages back and Alpine a little bit more competitive. I think he out qualifies Carlos. And, um, oh, sorry, no, he finishes ahead of Carlos and, of course, Stroll. Um, Pierre and Carlos had a good battle in Melbourne, so it would be interesting to see that again, and maybe Pierre hold him off this time and actually convert the great race into, uh, into points instead of crashing into Ocon after the red flag. But anyway, bringing up pain for Alpine fans, if you do exist and listen to this podcast. Anyway, Brad's bets time. Ride the bias every weekend. A review of my Monaco picks. I had the Max Verstappen win, and I also suggested doing his double, which means pole position and the win for increased odds. That cashed. Fernando Alonso podium, that cashed. But the ones after that, Yuki Sonota points. This one was just a massive L. I mean, the points finish was looking great. Of course, his P6 was a bit uh, aggressive, um, but... The points finish, I thought, was on. And then just that Alpha Terry Coward, the brakes just fell apart in the end. Um And he fell out of the points and spun off, too. But as soon as Piastri passed him, he was going so slow that he wasn't going to repass or anything, of course. So as soon as Piastri passed him and he fell back to P11, I was like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, is Sonoda going to finish P11 again? Um But he spun, of course, and, and lost that place, too. So this was actually Sonoda's worst weekend after saying... Um, that he would be in the top six in one of my bold predictions. But uh, anyways, that one, of course, didn't cash. And then the no retirements long shot was, again, like I said, looking so great. Um, But, of course, Lance Stroll puts his car into the wall twice um, at the hairpin and at uh, the lower Mirabeau. So he retired. And I will note this, too. He was not the only retirement. Magnussen pulled into the pits, I think, with three or four laps to go. If Stroll didn't retire and Magnussen blew that bet for me, I would have probably screamed at the top of my lungs that some of you listening from from Europe would have heard me in Canada. I would have lost my mind because I had about 15, 20 bucks on on no retirements, which would have been a huge cash out. Um, Of course, that didn't cash. And if Magnussen cost me that with three laps to go, I would have lost my mind. I will say that now. But Thanks to Stroll, I guess. I guess he didn't make me scream. (laughs) So this week, though, I've gone from being excited for the potential opportunities to seeing nothing but pretty bleak options, honestly. I have for minus 175, which isn't uh, too exciting, but both Red Bull drivers to finish on the podium. I personally think Checo bounces back, and it's almost a guarantee that they do. So minus 175 is not too bad. Um, for people who don't understand how minus works, plus it's really easy. So plus 100 is double your money, plus 200, triple, and, and it just keeps going. Um, basically, it's to bet $100, how much would you win? If it's plus 100, you'd win 100. If it's plus 200, you'd win two. That That's all it is. Now, for minus 175, it's a little bit more confusing. It's how much you would need to bet to win $100. You would have to bet $175 to win $100. That's how minus 75, $175 works. If it's minus $1,000, you need to bet $1,000 just to win $100. I hope you understand. But anyway, um, max is double, again, for minus 120s. Not a bad bet. Um, a Bet365 exclusive. FanDuel will never have this. It's a total classified driver's three-way. Um, basically, it gives you three options instead of a normal over-under, so you can get better odds. And I personally really like over 17.5 for plus 110. So basically, all you need is not there for there not to be three retirements. There hasn't been very many lately, um, so I think you bet on there to be two retirements or less, and you double your money. It's pretty good. Um, another one, plus 175 for the amount of leaders to be in the race, um, and for that only to be two. Um, I think that's a good bet with Red Bull probably set to dominate again in the long shot of the week because I just really don't have one um, it's still the longest odds and that's just Oscar Piaskri to score po- score points kind of boring but plus 350 I think McLaren should fare well here um, so it's decent if you want to get really wild I don't know take a flyer on like Carlos Sainz going fastest in Q1 or something uh, it's like plus 3300 or something crazy um, anyone can go fastest in Q1 Max can go out and set a time, and it'd be so good that he's definitely not going to be eliminated. And then he just doesn't come out for a second lap because why I bother? And then that's when the track evolution helps a Ferrari or something go fastest. It's you never know what happens, and for plus thirty three hundred, it's definitely possible. So go for that if you really want. But that will do it for episode 56 of Brake Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 57 Monday to review the Spanish Grand Prix. What can Alonso and Sainz achieve at their home race? What can the big upgrades show at a more conventional circuit? I can't wait to find out. Goodbye.